All righty. So we're uh, at the end of Mark chapter 6. We took just a few verses a couple weeks ago, but uh, this week we're taking a lot. So Kevin's going to be preaching fast. Hopefully you can keep up with me. Can you keep up? Okay. I love it. Tyson, can you keep up? Yeah. That's my studly nephew back there. He says, yeah, in that deep manly voice of his. All right. So today we're going to kind of see a subject come up a couple different times, and that is the subject of rest. Uh, Believe it or not, rest is important. Everybody say it with me. Rest is important. We're not always very good at it, or some of us are just too good at it, my wife might accuse me of. (laughs) But rest is incredibly important to our faith. And so today, we're going to kind of see the theme of faith, the theme of rest, and really see as the big idea that faith in Jesus brings rest in Jesus. Um, It's kind of a wonderful cycle thing. It's uh, symbiotic, if you will. When you are in that faith-filled place, the rest comes. And when you are in a restful place, you, you tend to have easier time going to your faith. It, 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 it's cyclical. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And they feed each other. Uh, it's all about, though, having your faith in the right source because he's the one with the power and the authority and the wisdom and the might. Amen? So when we put our faith in him, we, we can truly rest in a way that we couldn't otherwise uh, I almost called this one, when your faith is in Jesus, you can rest assured, but it seemed too punny. Thank you. A little louder on that boo, please. All right. So <laughs> All right. So uh, we're actually going to look at kind of three little mini sections uh, of Scripture today, but they connect. So let's dive in. Uh, chapter 6, starting with verse, I can't see because that's tiny. Somebody read that to me. 30, is that right? Okay, thank you. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So uh, the apostles returned to Jesus. What had happened last week is that Jesus had sent out his disciples two by two to do the very ministry that he had been doing himself. So he had apprenticed them, he had mentored them, he had discipled them, and they were ready to go out and try it by themselves. He sent them two by two. We talked a little bit about team ministry and the beauty of that last week. But uh, you can imagine how excited these 12 guys were as they came back. As they had cast out demons, they had taught in Jesus' name, they had healed the sick. I mean, amazing things had happened. They'd done it just like Jesus did. And so they come back, and you've got to imagine, like the, uh, like the youth pastor who comes back from camp right after a kid gets saved, you know? Like, like your child spends a week at summer camp, and they want to come, and they want to give you the reports. You know what I'm talking about, that level of excitement? And you've probably got either uh, a spouse or a child who, as uh, the Love and Respect series puts it, they give the report to build the rapport. It's it's an important thing to recognize. The one thing I recognize, especially in my son, he gives the report in every detail to build the rapport. And it's really important that I drop what I'm doing and I listen. Jesus says, I want to hear every detail. 
I want to hear about it all. We need to get away. Let's rest a little bit. And that is going to be, again, our big idea. Come away by, by yourselves, he says, to a desolate place and rest a while. Um, some of you guys who work with your hands, I know for me, whenever I'm doing building projects, if it's lunchtime, I, I get away from the job site for a second, even if it's just to my car. And, and I take my lunch in my car, take a break from the job site, from the, from the, the, the frenzy and the pace and all that kind of stuff. Some of you work in an office with, you know, crazy people, which is probably most of you because you're in the office. Um, I meant that. Yes, I did. <laughs> no, I'm not taking it back at all. <laughs> I can relate because I'm also the same. Uh, you need time away from the office. This is what Jesus is doing. He says you need rest, you need rejuvenation, and you need reconnection with God. Those are the three R's that I'd like you to think about when you think of rest. Rest physically and mentally and emotionally, rejuvenation as well, and reconnection with God. Uh, Mark, Mark notes that so many people were coming and going. They didn't even have leisure enough to eat. Um, Kristen Schaefer can uh, vouch for the fact that I've often come to community group on Thursday nights or Wednesday nights and having not eaten that day. I've been so distracted. Some of you might be the same way where you go, 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 and then go, wait, did I eat a meal today? But I got nothing on Jesus and the disciples because they have been going, 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 and these crowds are ridiculous. So they go away in the boat again. Uh, easy way to escape, it seems like, for Jesus, and there's a lot of boat ministry. Uh, we're going to see a couple cool boat things happen today uh, by themselves, or at least they tried. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is, this is so insane. <laughs> People are running, physically running, like our running group. See, running is holy. Amen. Very holy. <laughs> They're running on foot trying to get to where he's going to be. Uh, I don't know if they were like, it was like a scavenger hunt or something, find the Jesus. And they're like, you guys, you guys try that field that could be right over there. They could be landing over here. You guys go and report if you find him, and we're going to go over here. And, and they're strategizing. People love Jesus. And there's, it's no wonder. He's amazing. He's full of love. He's full of compassion. But I'm, I'm telling you, if, if I was in Jesus' shoes, imagine, I mean, imagine how frustrated you would be. You're, you're trying to get away, maybe on vacation or just even for a weekend or a day off, and people from work just won't leave you alone. Can you imagine how frustrated you would be? Stop calling me. I'm on a beach. I don't want to talk to you. You're, you're silencing your phone and all this. But they, you can't just silence them. They're, they're right there. They're in person. It's not even text messages and all that. They won't leave him alone. But frustrated isn't the response of Jesus, is it? When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd. He had compassion on them. Compassion. And the reason why is because he said he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Scripture is chock full of references to us humans being uh, compared to sheep. 
They're called sheep metaphorically, but I think it's almost practically literal. You know how people use literally these days. Literally, and they don't mean literally. Well, uh, truth is, sheep are, are kind of dumb. Guilty. Um, they tend to just mull around with no purpose, except for maybe to feed their bellies. Guilty. Um, <laughs> there's practically no awareness at times of their surroundings, of, of the danger that they could be walking right into. Guilty. And with no guidance, they'll just kind of scatter and disperse. Many wandering off alone uh, with no fear when they should have fear. Guilty. And if, if sheep are to survive at all, they must have leadership. Guilty. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like humankind as you kind of look around at the, the way our society has become and our culture is and how we gravitate towards certain things? The beauty is Scripture is also full of references to God as the good shepherd. He gives us life and he gives us purpose for those aimless wanderings. He provides for us. He guides us. He protects us for our good. He even disciplines us and corrects us. And if we're to survive, we desperately need to come under the good shepherd's leadership and his care. Amen. Love this about Jesus. He recognizes all these things. He sees these people and he has compassion. And beautiful sheep, let me just tell you right now, sitting in, in your little green teal chairs, Jesus sees you and he looks on you with compassion. For you who are over shepherds, like I am, where we get to be under the good shepherd, but get to shepherd people as well, let's strive for the response that we have to people of compassion. And when we see people, we don't go, ugh, why won't they get it in their heads or, or get frustrated by the, the ruts that people fall into or the same old, same old sins or the same old, same old false solutions to those sins? Or the, it, let's not get frustrated, but let's look on those under our care and go, man, I got compassion for them. They're just, they just need some help. They need some Jesus. So Jesus, he doesn't send them away. Instead, it says he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Pretty practical. Um, the disciples see this need. They, they, they come to Jesus with it. There's no, there's no Arby's nearby, they say. We're kind of in a weird, desolate place. Um, it's removed. How these people go and eat? Uh, what what they say, though, interestingly enough, is more of a command than a question. They're like, Jesus, this is what you should do. Do it. Send the people away to go eat. Strike one for the disciples. Just had this great, huge accomplishment, this great victory. Uh, a lot of times right after victory comes big defeats. This is going to be one of those. Strike one. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. <laughs> I hope he said it like this. You give them something to eat. 
I hope it was more like that. I mean, he's probably, again, he's a compassionate Jesus and patient Jesus. So he's like, he probably said it nicer, but you do. <laughs> you give him something. I mean, because, again, they just came at him with this barking order. Jesus, send him away. No, you give him something to eat. Jesus' plan is different than the apostles. Uh, again, it, it it's quite possible that these disciples are kind of tired of the needy crowds, too. They had kind of looked forward to a little time away to a desolate place and getting in the boat and pulling up on the shore and being like, ah, people, more people, wild people. See, you got to kind of, I, I guess, understand a little bit. But Jesus, again, he looked on this crowd and he knew that this crowd needed to hear what he had to say that he was the good sheep and they were the shepherd. I'm sorry, he was the shepherd, they were the sheep. And, and that what he was offering to them was was the bread of life. It was sustenance that feeds the soul. And they had a far bigger need than, than just simple bread. So the disciples, on the other hand, they see an obstacle that's just too big to overcome. At first, they're just like, send them away, and they can't wait for them to be sent away, probably. And then Jesus says, well, you find them food. They're like, what do you want us to do? Does, do you know how much it would cost to feed all these people? 200 denarii, apparently, was their estimation. Uh, from my research, a day's wage is about one denarii. So this is like 200 days' wages or so. Um, let's put that into dollars, or doll hairs, as I like to call them. Let's put those into dollars for you. Uh, obviously, people's wages are up and down here, there, and everywhere. But the average daily wage in America is $172 a day. Times 200 is $34,400. That's a chunk of change, okay? That's a lot of money. And you think, man, are they even close? I wonder. Well, there was 5,000 men in the crowd, we're going to find out. But they only counted the men. So some people have said it, it could be up to 20,000 people here. At least give it to 10,000. I mean, if you're just saying there was, there was as many children and women as the men. But from 10 to 20,000 people, 34 grand. I, I mean, I like to feed large crowds. In fact, once a year we do the, the run to remember, and we go provide hot dogs for the runners, and there's – a couple thousand runners. I think we've we've done about 2,400 hot dogs is our record so far. And we do the big Costco hot dogs. We're not skimping. It's like if you're going to do something in Jesus' name, you do it in Jesus' name. Quality and care because he has compassion that way. We want to have so big old like those hoagie style buns and the big old dog, 2,000 of them. And we got to cook them all in a couple hours and serve them. It's a blast. I love that. I love feeding large crowds. But I can't even imagine the logistics behind 10,000 to 20,000 people. How would you buy that much food in the surrounding villages? How would you somehow get all that kind of food there? They didn't have Toyotas to throw it in the back or big diesels with trailers. No, you're carrying that back and forth. The, the task is impossible. It just can't happen. But Jesus has a very simple plan. You don't need to go into the villages. You don't need to go into the towns. So strike two for the disciples, by the way. 
Jesus says, how many loaves do we have? Like, all right, what do we got right here? Um, five. Five loaves and two fish. Not a mathematician, not a baker, doesn't seem like enough. Uh, the disciples are just like, this isn't going to work, Jesus. Strike three. The thing is, Jesus doesn't have obstacles. He just doesn't. There's absolutely nothing beyond the ability of Jesus. And for you, your greatest ability in Jesus is your availability. These disciples needed to make themselves available and put their trust in Jesus and rest in the fact that he can handle this, but they're still freaking out. Here's what happens. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Apparently Jesus prays before his meals. Hmm. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So this is the only miracle, the only miracle that all four Gospels record, besides the resurrection, of course, which is one of the most amazing miracles ever. So this is no small thing. This is 100% impossible what Jesus does here. He sits them down in large groups and he asks a blessing. Again, I'm not religious about asking a blessing before my meal, but I like to. And my tradition is if you're sitting at the table at a restaurant, whoever gets served first gets the honor of the blessing. So if we're ever eating together and you get served first, the pastor's not praying this time. Um, so Jesus, he starts breaking the breads and giving them to the disciples to hand out to these groups. And he just keeps breaking he just keeps breaking bread. He keeps dividing fish. Don't worry if you're going paleo, there's fish. But pescatarian. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> but so much food, they all ate and they were all satisfied. Not a single hungry belly in the crowd. There was leftovers. Twelve baskets, which I kind of picture each disciple having a basket, and they're, they're filling up this basket. They're like, holy cow, we didn't start with this much food. And then they all get together and like, you have a basket? And you have a basket? And the disciples are just, they're geeking out. They're loving what's going on. Jesus saw the need of the people and he, and, and he filled it because he can. So a few things I want us to learn from this, this story. The disciple of Jesus needs to be like Jesus. And first thing that we see in this text is he says we need rest. Jesus needed physical rest. And we're going to see in just a second here, prayer for, prayerful rest is what he's going to take when he finally does get it. Uh, secondly, uh, Jesus sees the needs of people and responds with compassion. And then thirdly, he sees the needs of people and he fills them. Spiritual needs and physical needs are addressed by Jesus Christ. It's, it's a beautiful model. So the disciple should have the same heart as Jesus Christ. We, the disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to understand the need for rest and prayerful rest at that. Secondly, we need to see people and we need to feel compassion 
and not disdain or frustration or irritation, any of that, or judgmentalism. No, all is compassion. And third, we need to see the needs that people have and actually fill them, care about their physical needs. Most of all, though, the disciple needs to put their faith in Jesus Christ because he can do the impossible, and he's the source from which all the ministry flows. Just like those disciples who went out two by two and saw people healed and uh, delivered from demons and taught, they did that all in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And that's the source for every one of us disciples. Immediately, it says, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, he makes the disciples get into the boat. A uh, couple things that I just want to point out. Um, First of all, Jesus is in control of this situation. He's in total control. He's, he's the master over all the events that are playing out. Uh, first of all, he sends the disciples. <coughs> what we're going to find out is, is he's sending them into a windy storm in a difficult situation. This is purposeful by Jesus. He doesn't recommend they leave. He doesn't suggest they leave. He commands them to leave. He's the one that should be given the orders. Uh, so things are, are right there. And he sets into motion the events that are about to happen. Um, we also see Jesus took the responsibility of dismissing this crowd of ten to 20,000. I have no idea how that worked <laughs> or how he did it. Because, again, this is the crowd that keeps pressing in on him to where he's afraid he's going to be trampled. He gets in the boat to teach. Um, he, he had to escape from crowds and go over to Gentile lands. More crowds, crowds, crowds. Somehow he does it. Because he knows what this crowd is thinking. We, we find out from the book of John chapter 6 that the crowd, upon having their bellies fed and hearing Jesus teaching, they decide we need to crown him king right now. It's time for the revolution. We're going to overthrow these Romans. Let's go get your swords. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. This is not the plan. My plans are better. My plan is different. That's not going to happen. And so by uh, dismissing this crowd, by going up to the mountain to pray, he's saying your agenda, the earthly agenda, what you think is going to happen is not going to happen. I've got some better things going on. And again, he goes up to pray one of only three times that John Mark records that Jesus prayed. Obviously, he prayed more than that. There's a lot of times that Jesus prayed, but there were three really important occasions when when John Mark, our author, thought you need to understand that Jesus prayed. Um, one was at the beginning of his ministry, Mark chapter one. Uh, the other is at the end of his earthly ministry in Gethsemane before he walks the, the road to the cross. And the third one is right here in the middle. He feeds 5000. They want to make him king. And he's like, God, not. Not man's will, not, not anyone's will, but yours. So he's redirecting things. This is really important, and he chooses to pray. Um, so the evening came. It's late. Uh, the boat's out to sea. He's on land. Check out what happens next. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against him. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them 
walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. (coughs) It says that he saw that they were making headway painfully and the wind was against him. I I really like it when scripture says that, that God saw or Jesus saw. It's always deeper than just, I think, seeing physically. Um, think about it this way, too. Jesus is up on a mountain. It said that he went up on a mountain to pray. It's dark. It's late. The fact that he can see them at all is a miracle. It shouts of his godhood. And, and I think the key to understanding this story in this text and why it all happens is to understand that the godhood, the deity of Jesus Christ, is really, really central. Uh, the fourth watch, the fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m. Very dark. Um, and they're a long ways from each other. But again, he sees them. And, and he sees them, I think, with those same shepherd's eyes, those compassionate eyes. I think it's the same way that he sees you. Whatever you're going through right now, I think he sees you and he has compassion. He sees when the waves are against you. And the wind is against you. He sees when you're striving, trying so hard. He knows, he sees, he cares. And what does he do? The fourth watch, he came to them. Jesus not only sees when his disciples are striving, he comes to his disciples when they're striving. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. He cares deeply. And trust me, I know that many of you are so deep in it and striving so hard against it that you've asked yourself the question, does God even care? Because you've become saddened and frustrated and jaded and cynical and people have let you down. Maybe even the church has let you down. You go, does God even care that I'm hurting? That I can't make any headway with my children? That my marriage is so rough and tough that there just seems to be no hope for me? Does he even care? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. He cares so deeply and he comes to you in your distress. He shows up massively. He shows up here walking on the sea. Uh, In the conflict between naturalism and supernaturalism between uh, miracles and what some would call rationalism. There are a few stories that draw the line in the sand quite as hard as this story. Uh, People quickly want to dismiss biblical accounts like this. Uh, You know, it's, it's metaphor, it's story, it's mythology. It's nice. Jesus, there's a logical explanation though. There was a sandbar or something like that. It, Dead men don't rise and men don't walk on water. It just doesn't happen. It's science, Kevin. Believe it or not, I agree with you. Men don't rise from the grave and men don't walk on water. But God does. And Jesus' deity is really important to John Mark. In fact, I think it's important that Jesus wants to show his deity to the disciples. Let me explain why. We find it in this phrase, he meant to pass by them. 
Um, it's kind of a curious phrase. I, I wondered at it the first time I did my read through this week, and I'm like, oh yeah, what is what is that about? He meant to pass by them. He he was going to pass by them. He, maybe he was sneaking across the other side, and he was gonna like meet them there and be like surprise, and they're like, oh Jesus, how'd you get here? No, I mean, <laughs> he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him, so so wait, did he change his mind? Like his plan was to walk past him and peace out. Um, but, oh, they're struggling. Oh, maybe I should go help them. So they, he changed his mind because how, how they were struggling. But that doesn't make sense either because he already saw them struggling on the mountain. He already knew that they were struggling. So it's not like his plan would change. I, I read, uh, I, I believe it was seven potential explanations for this phrase in, in one book that I was reading. And then I came to the eighth. And the eighth one really got me excited. <laughs> Exodus chapter 33. Moses wants to see the glory of God. He wants to see the glory of God really badly. God's like, man, you can't even see the front of me. I'm going to have to let you see the, the back of me. And guess what it says that God did? God passed by Moses. Whew. He meant to pass by them? First Kings 19, God passed by Elijah on Mount Horeb. Same phrase, passed by. Jesus intended to pass by his precious disciples. He was revealing his glory to them by walking on water. He wanted them to get a glimpse of his godhood. Is that cool? Unfortunately, they don't get it. <laughs> This is uh, another strike. <laughs> I've got these disciples that are still in process, still learning to put their faith in Jesus. They can't explain what they're seeing, so they say, it must be a ghost. <laughs> Picture this. This is epic. These are grown men, and, and a lot of them are the manly men. You know, we fish, we hunt, we catch, we eat. Aw. Seriously, like manly men work with their hands, calloused. Like strong shoulders, come on. And they're crying, ah, ghost. They're freaking out. Some of them probably had to change your shorts, but Jesus doesn't leave them in fear long. Check this out. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Immediately, again, Mark's favorite word, but I think this time it's really wonderful because it's Jesus saying, I'm not going to leave you in fear that long. I'm not a God of fear. I want you to have faith. <coughs> we already know that faith fights fear. Amen? Uh, so he says, it says that he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Remember, this is the second time something like this happened. Storm, a boat, Jesus, his power makes the waters like glass. Now, remember, Jesus had purposefully sent them out to face this, face this storm. He had strategically let them do it alone this time. Because you've faced a storm before. You failed that test. You woke me up and like, we're going to die. He's like, no, I told you we were going to the other side. You can count on my words. Here, he says, you're going to go to the other side. And he lets them go. 
This is kind of that phase in the disciples' ministry, isn't it? He sent them out alone, two by two. He sent them out now to face this storm. They had all 12 of them. You'd think maybe one of them would be a manly man when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ and say, no, we're going to be okay. Let's keep going. Look, that's got to be Jesus because people don't walk on water. No, it's a ghost. They're not getting it. Just because you can't see Jesus does not mean that he can't see you. The disciples couldn't see Jesus for a long time there, but he saw them. And dear disciple, internalize that concept. Internalize it. Just because you can't see Jesus in your situation does not mean he doesn't see you. It doesn't mean that you're striving and straining alone. We can't let our feelings rule us because feelings are here, there, and everywhere. The heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Trust in Jesus and choose to believe that he sees you, that he's with you, that he's in control of the storm that you're in. These guys, they're utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. I think being astounded is understandable in some ways, but also not understandable because they just saw five loaves and two fish feed thousands, which interestingly enough, Mark points out. I, I, I kind of did a double take when I first read this verse. I'm like, wait, no, we're doing the walk on water story. This is the next story. Why, why does it say they didn't understand about the loaves? Well, John Mark somehow is mashing these two stories together and saying they're interrelated. Um, I think that the proximity and the history that just happened, what, how they had just seen something that is clearly impossible, impossible, cannot do, no, no, nobody can do this. They saw it happen with their own eyes. They were part of it. They were involved in it. The loaves, they sh- it should have taught them something about God, that he's outside of space and time. There's nothing in the physical laws of nature that can withstrain him. But somehow they missed that. So the author believes they should have been able to interpret their present situation correctly based on the past. And I think there's kind of something in there for us as well, that when we're facing opposition, um, again, when the strong winds are against us, we need to remember the miracles that God has done in the past. The things he has done for us before, the things he's done for our family members and our, our church family, the things that he's done in his word, remembering and recalling those things and seeking to gain true understanding about who Jesus is from what he's done in the past gives us a lot of comfort and strength in and faith in the present. Uh, these men saw the glory of God pass by them, <laughs> and yet uh, they still have a hard time understanding who Jesus is. I pray that we're not people who have hearts that are hardened. I pray that we don't look at the things that Jesus does and that he says and that he is and somehow let it harden our heart instead of soften it and open it. Jesus went up, and I'm sure when he was on the mountain, not only was he praying because he knew that people wanted to make him king and all that, I think he was also praying for the disciples because he knew they were going out into a storm and that this was another test of their faith. 
I know that he's praying on your behalf before the Father right now. That Jesus Christ is your advocate. He's your high priest. You have access to God because Jesus is praying for you to God. And his perfection is now given to your account when you put your faith in him. This is just beautiful. The summation, uh, this kind of a summary, a couple verses here, but let's read them. When they'd crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. A lot more of the same greets Jesus and his disciples when they cross over to Gennesaret. He's recognized. People are running again. All the running. Um, the touching of Jesus' garment story must have got out. Remember the woman who had bled for 12 years just needed to touch the hem of his garment. And she was healed. That must have got out because people are just like, I just got to touch him. Just touch the fringe of his garment even. Again, these verses are fairly summary that the same kinds of things are happening, uh, describing the, this period in Jesus' ministry. And next week we're going to we're going to see Jesus, um, unfortunately, uh, challenged again by the religious religious leaders. Uh, but Jesus is also going to give us some some powerful instruction through those challenges. But I really want us just to, to take if you uh, if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, man, I. I I want that desperately for you. If you haven't asked him to forgive you of your sins, it's just that simple. Um, a lot of us feel like, man, I can't come to Jesus because I'm not perfect. But look at these men who are so imperfect, and they're with Jesus even. Uh, saying that, that you've got to somehow clean up your life and, and fix the sin in your life before you come to Jesus is like saying, uh, I've got to somehow stitch myself up from this bullet wound before I go to the ER. No, that's what the ER is for. That you need to get there. So come to Jesus. Just just come to him with your filth, with your life messed up, and say, yeah, I trust in you. I believe that you died for me, and I want to be forgiven of my sins. And something radical happens. Through that faith, you can have rest like you've never known in your life. And rest knowing that the God of the universe, the one who is more powerful than anything, is the one that sees you and is praying for you and is coming to you and is showing up in a big way for you. That God's on your side. Now I can rest peacefully. As a child, I remember whenever my dad would go away for a weekend or a men's retreat or a business trip, I remember just kind of being a little scared in my bed. I'm like, I, I mean, dad's not here. And I what if something were to break in? What if something were to happen? Dad's, dad's not here. And it would take me a long time to get to sleep, and I just didn't sleep the same. Because the presence of my dad gave me so much comfort. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, I pray that you can rest like nobody else on this planet, knowing that your faith is in the most powerful one, who is beyond space and time and matter, and there's nothing that is an obstacle to him. There's nothing that's too hard for him or, or even a little bit tricky or even a little bit difficult. Nope. Easy. He's God. 